Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. Welcome to Paint Ed. My name is Torlando. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today is part two of my live in Phoenix event hosted by uh, the local Sherwin-Williams district out there. Uh, Really fun group to be a part of. In part one, if you missed it, uh, I, I talk all about my production management system sprint os based off of the book which you can get of course on amazon just search for my name and the word sprint and it'll pop up Uh, in part two we're going to be talking about crew building building that team and what i loved about this particular section is that there were a few questions that i feel like totally relate to the Uh, the contractor out there listening Um, we are at the beginning of spring that means that our calls are coming in Uh, we're starting to get booked up and now we're looking for people when people ask me how do I find good workers the answer is that it always starts with you you have to be the kind of person that attracts the people you want to have in your team. Your vibe attracts your tribe. And I think a lot of people in our industry who have worked long careers, who have been burned by people coming in that don't get it, that uh, they, they, they slough off, they don't work hard, they make mistakes, It's really easy for us to turn outward and think, oh, people don't want to work. You know, young people, Gen Z, they don't want this kind of work. I don't believe that's true. I think the reality is that people want to work. They just don't want to work for you. If that's your attitude towards others, then that's that's the attitude that you're going to receive back. We got to change our attitudes. We got to change who we are as leaders in order to create a culture and a vibe that's going to attract the best people. We can attract the best people. We can do that. But it starts with us as leaders. And so I'm so happy to uh, present this lecture live in Phoenix. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's get it going. All right, who here, is there anybody here who has never painted in the field? You, the lone, the lone ranger? Oh, you too? All right, you guys can leave. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) This is for painters. (laughs) No, uh, 
for most of us, uh, let me let me ask you this: How did how did you get into the business? My dad the Your dad? Who else? Ah, so you're doing a few things and you ended up liking painting the most. Yeah, a little bit quicker money. Sure, fair enough. There's there's a lot of benefits to being a specialist. When you're when you're a specialist in, in one trade, you you know, you end up avoiding that, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. And you're actually able to command more money because you're a specialist. Right? I mean think about, you know, the person who goes and gets painting from a handyman versus a, a, a you know professional painter. You're able to charge more. Who else? What what other stories? How did how did you guys get into painting? That's awesome. With, uh, custom designs, accent walls. We're going to get into the Venetia plastering. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. If any of you guys I got don't. YouTube too, so you can check uh, us out. I will. <laughs> if you guys don't do that offer, you have somebody here who does. Yeah. Right? A little <laughs> referral partnership action. Yeah. yeah. All right. What? Well, how else? How, who else? Uh, how'd you get in? Yeah. Uh, through construction, I went through the, the apprentice program in the union. Mm hmm. Oh, uh, awesome. Yeah, kind of the old school method. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, when I was 20 years old, I actually picked up someone who broke down on the side of the road. And he's a painter. And he said, What are you doing? I was looking for a job. And he hired me. Oh. Started, so wow. Cool. Yeah. Wow. 20 years <laughs> later, huh? How'd you get into it? Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I gotta do what you're doing, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, my my story, I think, is you know, it's it's probably not too different than than a lot of yours. I. Uh, I was graduated from high school. I, I needed a, a job. I was I was gonna uh, serve a mission for my church and uh, needed to save up some money. And a friend of mine, his dad had a construction company, and he said, uh, "Have you ever painted?" And I said, "Well, my uncle made me paint his garage one summer. Is that enough?" And he was like, "Yeah, that's enough." <laughs> <laughs> and there I began. You know, I I, I learned. Uh, apprenticed under a more experienced painter who uh, recently died of a, a brain aneurysm rest in peace Pat Hayes um, and I fell in love with it I mean there's something so cathartic about it you know there's uh, 
it can be peaceful at times. Um, it's immensely rewarding, you know. You you go in and you you take this really ugly thing and you and you make it beautiful. You see your progress every day. You get a little variety because you're going to different people's houses. And then what about the reaction when when you've done it right? Oh, nothing better. Nothing better. You know, this is the best industry, you guys. I love this industry. Yeah, it is. It's the best industry. I love it. I love it. And and it is a trade that has existed for hundreds of years. For hundreds of years. And the model of growing a painting business has not changed in hundreds of years. It always starts with apprenticeship. You go back 500 years, apprentices back then, they were kids and they would leave their parents home and they would live with a master craftsman, learning the trade, uh, paying, paying off room and board basically. Uh, you know, practically indentured servants. Not practically, they were servants. Uh, but <laughs> once they came of age and finished their apprenticeship, they would enter their journeyman years. Okay, and your journeyman years lasted for three years and one day. Journeyman comes from a French word, which means day, basically meaning that they are a, a day worker or a day man, if you are uh, Sony and Philadelphia fans. They're day workers, meaning that they were allowed to work for day wages. And so what they would do is they would travel from you know, guild to guild, master to master, learning new skills, improving the work that they do, and preparing for what would eventually be their masterpiece that they would present to the guild. And then the guild would accept their masterpiece and they would name them a master craftsman. And when you became a master craftsman, that meant that you could establish roots in an area and that the guild would send all of the work that came in the area to the master craftsman. And then the master craftsman would take on an apprentice and teach those skills to the new one. And as work picked up, that apprentice would uh, kind of graduate their apprenticeship, become a journeyman, they'd take on a new apprentice. Well, we don't live in the guild age anymore, but a lot of these principles still hold true and a lot of it is uh, how we can grow and and uh, and build our company especially when we want people to do it our way when we don't want to just have you know some subcontractor come through and sling paint on there and move to the next one right more headaches than it's worth this is the model once that journeyman gets a little more practice under their belt, they start learning some of those customer service skills, we can advance them to a crew leader. And once that other apprentice is trained up, you put that apprentice on that crew of the new crew leader, and then you split them off and you send them out. You add a new apprentice. And you just keep doing this, right? And, and eventually, you're able to hire a sales rep. Or maybe you become the full-time sales rep. You have a choice. I think you have a choice in your business. You can, you can move more towards sales or you can stay in more of the production management. It's really difficult to do both. The reason being is that uh, your schedule is totally different. The schedule of somebody who is on the production side of things, you really need more time. You need like 
half a morning, full day to get the work done. Whereas when you're a salesperson, your day is broken up into like one hour increments. You have an appointment here, you got an appointment there. It's really difficult to keep an eye on the work when you're running a lot of bids. And so for, for depending on who you are, I would, I would challenge you to do a little soul searching and figure out what do you want to be you know, when you grow up here. Because as your business grows up, you are going to have to change what you do. Your life is going to have to look a little bit different. Your job description is going to look a little bit different. And what I could tell you from personal experience is that if you are not careful about crafting that job position, you're going to end up with a job that you despise. Right? In my first company, I, I did this. I, I screwed it up. I took everything that I loved, I built a system around it, and then I handed it off. And the first thing to go was painting because I knew how to do that the best, and it's my first love. Pa I handed it off. Then I got really good at the sales, and it got to a point where um, I was having fun with the sales, but you know, it was just a little bit of a like routine. You know, I'd, I'd do about three, four a day, same song and dance. I forget who I was talking to. I knew exactly when the people would laugh when I would, you know, say my presentation. I knew exactly when they would go, oh, that's very interesting. And I knew that about two out of the three bids that I did, that I would win two of them, right? I would win two out of the three. I knew it. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to hand that off, right? And uh, I'm going to hire salespeople. And, and so, I, so I hired the salespeople. And then I found myself in this uh, role of, of administrative director, which was paying bills, writing checks, fielding the worst of the complaints. And let me tell you, my initial degree, which was in art, did not prepare me for business taxes. And it was not fun. It was not fun. I did not like my job, right? I systematically delegated myself into a job that I loathed. And I had, I had a break, <laughs> you know? My, my marriage wasn't going well. I ended up in a divorce. Uh, I, I, oh, that ruined a lot of things. Uh, and so I, I closed up that, that first business. Yeah, did you say congratulations? Who um, yes, said that? <laughs> <laughs> now, nice, now, yes. Now, yes, definitely. Uh, yes. But back then, yeah. <laughs> but back then, it was it was really tough. You know, it it, it took me out. You know, I, I I'm fortunate now. Okay, I'm, I am remarried. All right, I have the new baby. All right, I'm very happy. Um, but but that was that was a really hard time. How long ago was that? That was. <laughs> almost four years, ago. four years ago almost four years ago yeah so here's the deal you have to make a decision uh, about what you want to do in your company what you want your job to be this is this is an active business all right don't don't let anybody tell you that it's passive there there are too many gurus out there that are trying to tell you how to run a passive painting company they don't exist it's an active business it's an active and if you're gonna be here you need to be here because you want to be here all right, if you want passive income, go invest in real estate. Do something else. This is active. We're here because we want to be. We're here because we want to develop people. We're here because we want to have impact on people's lives and their homes. That's why we're here. In understanding that purpose and understanding who you are as a, as a leader and as an individual, that's what's going to attract the people. That's what's going to help you get those people. All right, real quick, another challenge. Oh, you got a question. Let's do that. Yeah, just, uh, when did the 
right now after you leave this room? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right now. Like, charge more. Yeah, charge more. All right. Here's here's what here's what I here's what I want you to do, and and maybe we can do this as part of this challenge here. Okay, so this is a channel a challenge. Join join the double your crew, double your revenue challenge. Okay, you go to this challenge. There's a a little bit. Of, there's a worksheet. It's free. All right, and it's going to help you to figure out how many jobs that you need to do, how many workers that you need to to have, in order to double your revenue. Okay, it's a little worksheet. It's formatted for mobile so you can see it right on your phone. And this is my challenge, okay? Now some of you may have been through a lot. Some of you may have had bigger crew sizes and you decided, hey, I gotta scale back. This is too much. Stuff is out of control, okay? Well, the system that I just showed you, the sprint system, and this model of growth, and this recruiting process that I'm about to show you, this is going to help you scale with control okay so we're going we're going to enter into this into this challenge here we're going to we're going to double it and we're going to we're going to do a really good job okay things are going to go smoothly so charging i'm going to address that i'm going to i'm going to come back to that okay this is the big this is the big kicker about this right i just yeah double double freaking crew we're going to do this and then you go into the real world and you're like oh crap yeah. <laughs> where are where are they yeah where <laughs> where are the people well, one time i was uh, i was giving a presentation uh uh where was i i was out i was on the east coast somewhere and this guy he said to me and he just he had like the gnarliest attitude and he said i can't find workers nobody nobody wants to work right just had the gnarliest attitude ever and i looked at him and i said oh people want to work they just don't want to work for you right I mean who, who here has had a boss that is the worst <laughs> oh my gosh some of these people don't know how to lead and and that's the key is developing leadership all right it's not a fast answer it's actually a really slow answer right it's not a system one thinking answer it's not gun to your head what I do today to find workers it's a slow answer it's a system two thinking answer and it starts with you this right here is the uh, the six dominions of leadership it is a uh, model that was heavily researched um, came came out of a study from Duke University um, it's uh, it's things that I'm learning you know in in my MBA course uh, some some of the the some very like world-renowned researchers have really backed this this model right here and the six domains kind of form this pyramid here and there's these are different kinds of, of leadership personal leadership relational contextual inspirational supportive and responsible I'm gonna go through each one of these and what I'm gonna present to you and submit to you is that if you want people to work for you this is the kind of leader you need to become because that type of energy that you bring that type of leadership that you bring to people it creates followers and it, and it creates people who want to who want to be there with you who want to be on the ride that you're on they're not looking for other places to go they're not going to jump ship for two dollar raise from some other company they're going to be loyal right 
And it starts with that personal leadership. Who are you? Who are you as a person? And how are you projecting that to other people? Because if you're that guy that's like, no, workers want to work, these, you know, Gen Z, the, you know, I mean, I've heard it, I heard it when I was like coming up, you know, the, the, the people before them were like, millennials, they don't want to work, you know, it's like, well, actually, millennials do want to work. Gen Z actually does want to work. They're pretty cool. Uh, they want to work and they're good at it. It's just that they have demands, all right, especially Gen Z. Like, Gen Z does not play, you know, because they know that they can bounce around and they can find it find a different a good fit and they and they don't settle all right that's the difference with gen z and you know gen x for example like gen x they're like well life is hard and so we got to be hard you know that's like that's gen x right but, <laughs> but gen z they're just they're like no I'm, I'm not i'm not dealing with that toxic boss over there right like that's that's how they are so you got to be, uh, you got to develop yourself. That's the first, that's the first thing to do. You got to develop yourself. You got to develop who you are. You have to have a strong sense of who you are. Um, that, that's hard. That's hard. I'll, I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you. When I ask this question, there are areas where I struggle. I struggle. You know, the, the person that I am in my thirties is not the same person who I became in my twenties. And when I was in my 20s, I was like going to art school, I make comics, I do videos, I go to punk rock shows, and, but I also listen to hip hop. You know, I was like, I knew who I was. Then I became a dad and I'm like, I change diapers. That's who I am, you know? <laughs> I make sure that you have food. That's who I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm in charge of bath time. You know, that's my life right now. I've got a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and then a six-week-old. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so you know, you, you get to this point, and, and the person who you were, is it doesn't really look like the person that you are today, and, and, you, and you start to have a little bit of an identity crisis, right? Who, who am I? Am I enough, right? Well, I, I, I work on this, you know? I have a, I mean, I was, I, I was having a conversation right before I walked in here with a friend and, and he listed out all the things that I do and all the things that I've accomplished. And I said, I could accomplish a hundred more things and I still wouldn't feel more satisfied. How do I feel satisfied with who I am if I had nothing? If I had nothing, do I still feel self-worth? Like, who am I, right? That's the, what this question is getting at. You're preparing yourself, you're building yourself, and then you're projecting that to other people, right? You want to do it so that the reason the reason that you want that is because you want your people to have somebody they want they need to know you. It's about authenticity, right? Like you, nobody wants to be around fake and phony people. Like being your authentic self, that is what matters. That's what attract other people. We can't be dualistic in our leadership. Then there's relational leadership. This is the relationship that we have between people with others, right? It's, that's another thing that has to be authentic. It has to be legitimate. You have to care about the people that you are leading. They have to feel like you care. When somebody's interviewing with you, one thing that they don't care about really is growing your business. Like they might say that in the interview because it, you know, sounds good. They don't care about that. They're trying to solve their own problems. Right? They had a...
job before, and they just don't want a job anymore. <laughs> they're, trying to, they're trying to solve their problems. And so if you can be the kind of leader that knows your people well enough, that, that can convey that you care and understand and empathize with their needs, their concerns, where they want to go in their career and in the, in the world, that's what attracts people. That's what, that's what brings them there. Then you've got uh, contextual. Contextual leadership is about clarifying who we are as a company, how we do it, and what that means, right? So the reason I named my company Craftsman Painter is because I just didn't want, I didn't want it to just be a, uh, a company name. I wanted it to be an identity, right? I wanted my people to identify as Craftsman Painters. That's who I am. That, this is who we are. This is why we do it, right? We are, we are painting people's houses because that is the, the number one most important possession that they own. It is their greatest asset. They work their asses off every single day just to have a place to, to hit their head on the, on the pillow and have dinner and have family memories. That matters. And you know what we do? We make them proud of that asset. We help them go in and say, dang, this is my home. This is my life. When I, when I went through my divorce, uh, there was uh, a period where I felt like I had hit rock bottom. I felt like I had failed at everything. I was, I was too emotionally out of it to continue the business, so I did shut it down, okay? Uh, I, I, that's when I went and got the job in the software. Don't know how that happened, but I got it, okay? And I, and I, and I moved, I had to move, right? I moved into a new house, and I remember walking into this stupid, ugly house, looking around at the, like the, if you've been painting for a while, like if you've been painting, like if you were painting in, I would say the like late, maybe late-ish 2000s, there was this combination of blue and green that just at the time looked great, but in <laughs> 2019, it's like this is hideous. And I, I felt like nothing. I, I did not feel like, I, I felt like nothing, you guys. And I had boxes around and I had this and then I had my my girls you know and I was pretty much single parenting you know and uh, I looked around and I, I said I, I gotta paint <laughs> I gotta paint I gotta paint and so I painted and I picked my colors right my colors I didn't have to <laughs> my colors and, and I arranged my furniture, and it became my home, right? And I thought for the first time in several, out of several months, three or four months, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I can, I can, I can live, you know? I can move on, right? That's what we do. Paint was the only thing that, that made that change. If you're not communicating to your crew why we are doing what we're doing, if they don't understand and know the value of it, you're doing them a disservice. You're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing your customers a disservice. You wanna help your crew know uh, the impact of their job? Um, 
buy them a gallon of paint in any color that they want and, and have them paint their own room. Right? They're going to lay down and be like, dang, this looks good. Right? It's good. It's good stuff. Inspiration. Being an inspirational leader, developing your, your ability to inspire others. Um, sometimes you have to make the big speech as, as a leader, and it's, it's, uh, if, you're not, if you don't have practice, it's not always, it's not always super comfortable. Um, I recommend, you know, maybe, maybe go join, join BNI or, or uh, you know, there's um, Toastmaster or something like that. Get, get better at making the big speech. Inspire them. Thing is, this, this job is hard. There, there are parts of it that are really hard. There are days where it's really relaxing and, and uh, you know, and, and cathartic. But there are days, I mean, gosh, you guys are in Phoenix. It's hot as hell here, you know? <laughs> like, there are days that it, it, it sucks. And, and to get through that day... You gotta, you gotta be an inspirational leader. You gotta encourage them. You gotta motivate them. You know, you gotta, you gotta show up, even when you're hot, right? I think there are external things and there are internal things. External, we're all dealing with it, right? When it's, and I know, I actually know how hot it can be because I, I went to high school in Las Vegas and played football there. It's hot, you know, and that, and that's what my coach would always say. He'd say it's hot for everybody. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to act, right? So when you show up and you know things are hard, empathize. You know, don't, don't be a, a total hard ass about it. Empathize with what they're going, but inspire them to get through it. Aspire to them to, pr- to push. Help them remember the context, why we're doing this. And then provide them the support, right? If you're trying to, if you're telling them to get up, you know, three stories on the top of a roof to, you know, paint, you know, the, the top of a chimney and, and, you're, and they don't feel safe, help them feel safe. You know, get, get a rig, get a boom, do something, right? Like, give them the support that they need. Give them the resources that they need to do their jobs. Uh, if, they, if their paintbrush is, is uh, you know, seven months old and and they might as be might as well be painting with a bone like get them a new brush you know like give them the support that they need give them the protection that they need give them the money that they need right uh you know the the money i get it, it's hard but like like i said you're just gonna have to charge more if they need more money you're gonna have to charge more you're gonna have to figure out how to do that and then there's responsible being a responsible leader this is modeling ethics and balance Right. It, I'll give you an example here. There was a time, uh, this is not too long ago, where I had a customer who came to me and said, um, hey, do you, uh, I can't remember, did, did we include the doors or not? And I, I'll be honest, I didn't make the bid that clear. I did include the doors. I had an, I had an opportunity. There were a lot of doors in that house. Do I say... No, actually, we didn't do the doors. <laughs> or do I say, yes, Mrs. Customer, the doors are included. Right? I told her that the doors were included. Of course I did, because I charged enough. Now, if I didn't have, if I didn't charge very much money, I would have had an ethical decision to make, right? If we were already, you know, if we were already, uh, uh, you know, low on hours, out of hours, out of time to, to do the job, I would have had an ethical decision to make. Now, I believe that I would have made that decision either way. But for some people, when you are 
in that situation and you uh, have to make that decision, you're looking at the, the budget, some of you might have a hard time doing that. You like to think that you are going to make the right decision, but if you are frantic because there's not enough money in the job, well, system one thinking can take over. Being a responsible leader says that we're going to do the right thing when nobody's watching. I'm going to do the right things in front of my employees. I'm not going to be the exception to my own rules. Because what happens when you make exceptions? The exceptions become the rules. That's a key. It starts with that leadership. And when you get, when you provide that type of leadership, you get some things in return. When you are a strong personal leader, you get credibility with your team. When you are built, when you build those relationships, when you're a relational leader, you get trust from your team. When you provide context, understanding of who we are, why we, why we do it, those people, they become part of your community. And instead of taking a peek at the competitor and what they're doing and how much they're paying, it's us versus them now, right? And that us versus them thinking is strong. We want our people to be part, part of us. When you provide inspiration, you get aspiration. Our people want to achieve more. When you give support, you get initiative. The only thing that's asked is if you're going to be a responsible leader, that you take care of your stewardship, the people that are under you. Right? When, when you become a boss that people understood that they're taken care of, when they feel like they belong, they're going to tell their friends. And, they're, and, and not only are they going to tell their friends, they're going to tell their best friend, the ones that they know are going to work. Because nobody wants to bring somebody in that they have to drag along. <laughs> but they also don't want to bring somebody in if they know that they're not going to be happy there. Right? But if, if they love their job, they're taken care of, they're going to go find their friends that are the hardest workers. And they're going to say, you got to be a part of this. It's about building that community. Right? So here's a little exercise you could do. Uh, think about, the, uh, think about your, your top guys or gals. Think, think about the best people that you've ever had, past or present. And write down some of their qualities. Write down some of their interests. Write down where you found them. Uh, what qualities, what characteristics, what interests do they have? Where do they hang out? There was a, there was a long time where... Uh, I had this kind of constant stream of musicians coming in. And I realized that a lot of my great, my, a lot of my best painters, they did a, a year or two of college, then realized that it wasn't for them. They wanted something that, they, they don't want to work at a desk job, they want to work with their hands. Uh, they had, you know, some type of creative pursuit, usually music, sometimes art. And, um, they had they had cool friends and they were good with the people right so you figure out okay who are my people right who is my community where do they hang out and go go hang out there right and and go put a a job at right so you know if there's this one particular bar that the you know the people that i like hang i'm going to put a poster up put an ad i'm also going to do an, an ad that is going to have little call outs right and so let's talk about this process here. You're gonna start with a job post. 
there's a there's a company in town that I that I work with. Um, it's in in Phoenix, based in Phoenix. It's a software company. It's called Viva HR. Um, I've got a pretty good deal uh, with them. And uh, how that works is you they you write a job post through Viva HR, and then it gets sent out to every job board, right? Sixty different job boards. Indeed, Monster Recruiter, Zip Recruiter, all of them, right? Well, what I did is I thought to myself, okay, who, who are these people that I like, you know? And it just, for me and for my community, my culture, I like the artists, okay? That's what I like. You, you might not understand them. It's fine. They're artists. They are, you know, unique. Uh, so that's, but that's my community. So I, I decided, well, what, what jobs are there out there for artists? And so I typed in Indeed, and I said, uh, I, I wrote fine artists, studio artists. There's like nothing. And so I thought, well, I wonder if, if I made a job ad for fine artists, if fine artists would apply for it. I'll just, I'll make it clear that it's, you know, bring your art skills to the paint trade. I'll make that very clear up front, but let's see. Guys, I've, I've gotten five applications this morning. Um, the people are out there. You have to know how to. You have to know how to call them. You know what? What is their bat signal? That's that's what this is about. You know the 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 thing about the bat signal. Who does it call? The Batman. When the bat signal is out, who runs away? The bad guys, right? So your job ad has to be the bat the bat signal. It has to call the ones that you want, and scare the ones you don't want. Part of that is putting in your values, your culture, right? Uh, if you're tired of people who are, who are drunks showing up, <laughs> we have a no drinking policy. We have a no drinking smoking policy on the job. Uh, I can't, that, that, I'm out. Chuck <laughs> 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 and the truck is gone, right? Um, you know, in, in, uh, in, in the good state of Indiana, uh, I mean, you might, you might have noticed that I happen to be a, a person of color. Right? Uh, there are a lot of Confederate flags in Indiana. Right? So in my ad, I just said, we support BLM. Change the type of people that we got, right? Less Confederate flags in the Facebook profile, for sure. <laughs> so you put that job ad out there. And again, remember, when you interview that person, they, are, they care about their problems. So your job ad can't be about your problems. It has to be about theirs. It has to be about what, uh, what life will be like if they came here. What are they going to get? What, who will they be around, right? Things that they care about. You have a good job ad, it's gonna be a bat signal to your, to your key uh, candidates and they're gonna come to you and they're gonna wanna work there. So you put that job posting out and then you're going to have an, in an initial interview. I do this via Google, Google Meet, okay? It's all virtual. Um, it's about 20 minutes, and this is really about filtering. So, so I get, you know, the resumes, and I only, you know, reach out to the ones I want. Uh, they apply. How am I doing on, am I, like, way over time? And okay. Okay, okay, good, 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 good. All right, so so I uh, put out the. Are you guys doing okay? Yes, we want you to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> is she right? Or <laughs> all right, all right. 
So I want to do a little drive-by interview, okay? I want to uh, just get to, to know them real quick, okay? Real short. All right, I'm doing it virtual uh, via Google Meeting. You could even have it over the phone. It's, it's really fine. I like the video component, okay? Um, it's, it doesn't take much of my time because I just do it, you know, at my home office. Um, and because I'm in multiple locations, I can handle multiple locations, right? So it's really convenient. In this interview, you are not going to interrogate them. Not in this one. You're going to invite them to interrogate you, right? What I say is, hey, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious about, you know, what appealed to you about the job ad and, and, uh, um, you know, I want to hear just a little bit about, about your background, but more than that, this is, this is really more of a reverse interview. I want you to interview me. I want you to ask questions about the company and about the job. I want to make sure that you feel comfortable with this job because if, because if it doesn't work for you, it's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's make sure that you feel comfortable with the job. And so uh, they give me a quick background, what appealed to them about the, the, the notice. And, you know, I, I take notes on that part because if my job ad isn't good, I can go back and update it, right? But I want, I want to know the things that they cared about, the things that jumped out to them so I can double down on that as a company. So they give me, they give me an idea of what, what, it's, uh, you know, what it's all about. And uh, then I just say, okay, well, um, I enjoyed our conversation. Um, if you are interested in, in taking the next step, um, why don't you email me tomorrow? I want you to you know, take a night and think about it, but I want you to email me tomorrow if you're interested in the next step, right? I want to put it in their control a little bit, right? I want them to, I want them to, I want to see them take a little bit of initiative. Mm -hmm. And if they're not interested, then I, I don't have to think about it ever again, right? But if they email me, now I have an email that gives me a to-do item, right? It's, it's just a little, it's just a tiny, like, time management thing on my part, you know? It's like, so I don't have to remember to follow up with people. I have them follow up with me. And if they have initiative and they're responsible, which are things that I want, then they will. And if they actually want the job, then they will. I've also had people who will email me and say, you know, come to think of it, uh, I, you know, I have a slip disc and I don't think this is going to be a good job for me, right? So, so, I always, so I always do that. Well, once they do that, once they say, yeah, I, I'm interested in the job, then I have a formal interview. Personally, I still do this uh, virtually, but you can do it in person. There's where I have my questions, the questions that I'm going to ask, the questions that I need to know. And these questions are very specifically designed. What they're designed to do is they're designed to pull out the things that um, the things that I need out of a person, the, the key characteristics and, and, and parts of like the critical actions, the things that they're going to do. So, so if I were to tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what my critical actions are or my key characteristics for my company. My key characteristics are to be fearlessly authentic, to spread kindness like confetti, and to uh, not stop until you're proud. So wait, 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 say, say them again. They're on my website. No, I'll tell them. Be fearlessly authentic. Fearless. Spread kindness like confetti. And don't stop till you're proud. All right? Because I want people to, to, to seek mastery. That's what that last one is, right? You ever read that book by Robert Greene? 
No, I haven't. Really good. All right. Oh, cool. He must have been to my presentation. Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I, that's what I want, right? Um, I want I want great s customer service and, and people who are just naturally kind. Uh, they're just good at it, right? If it's just their instinct. Um, authenticity, you know, that's me. I just don't want to be around fake people, right? Um, especially for my salespeople. I don't want my salespeople to be fake. I want them to be real. I don't want them to be plastic, right? So, so those are critical actions. Well, what I'll do is I'll uh, uh, craft my questions to pull out those traits and and usually they're asking them to think back to an experience they had rather than what would you do if right what would you do if questions um they don't matter because they're you know they're stories right they're, they're it's inviting somebody to come up with something make up something right but if i if i ask them to tell me about a time that you had to work on a project with a lot of detail well, now they're going to have to think back to a time where they had one of these projects. And they're going to have to tell me the story about how it went. And if I add, and how did you feel about it when it was done? Well, now they're going to, I'm going to see, I'm going to see something, right? That tells me something. If I were to ask them, uh, you know, tell me about a time that you had to receive tough criticism. How did you take it and how did you respond? They have to tell me, and I'm listening for how kind were they about it, right? I'm listening for did they keep working at it, right? They took, they took the feedback. Did they change anything? Did they do anything about it, right? So those are the kind of questions that you want to design. Now, for you guys, your critical actions, uh, your key characteristics and all that, they're going to be specific to you. And what you could do is you could just, you know, if you think, okay, what characteristics, what human characteristics? You said, how do I find decent people? What human characteristics do you like? Let's, let's do this exercise together. What are some good characteristics in, in people? Integrity. Integrity. What else? Attention to detail. What else? Honesty. Love. I love it. Selflessness, right? Okay. So, you, so what, we, what you would do on a paper is just write out all of the good characteristics that you can think of and then just narrow it down to three, the ones that you think are the most important, okay? Those, those are your values. Those are the characteristics that you're looking for. And then you can create uh, a set of questions around that that will pull out, okay, tell me about a time that you made a mistake and you had to tell the person affected by it. Integrity, honesty, right? Um, tell me about a time that you... Uh, Tell me, tell me about a time that you had to help somebody in trouble. Selflessness. Right? Those are the kind of questions that we want to create around this. And, and when, we, when we take that, at, when we do this formal interview, just keep it short. You know, maybe seven questions total that, that uh, you know, address each of your, your critical actions, your key characteristics. And just listen. Make them the same for every person that you, or, that you uh, make those questions the same for every person that you interview. Because you need to be able to compare the options, you know, how, you know, and make a choice based on who, who answered better, basically, because you want to bring in the best people. So after this interview, which uh, for me is usually about 45 minutes, but um, I mean, let's be real, I'm a talker, so it's probably like an hour and 20 minutes. So uh, <laughs> we have a conversation, 
and um, and then again, I kind of I put it I put it a little bit into their hands still. You know, I say, okay, um, if this is uh, something that you want to do, um, reach out to me, and I will. We can set up a skills test. Okay. Now, I only do that if I feel good about them, right? I only say that if I feel good about them. If I'm not feeling good about them, I'll just say, I'll, I'll let you know, okay? Just, you know, maybe not like that. I'll say, well, thank you. Um, yeah, how would I say that? I'll role play it in front of you here. Say, oh, man, thank you so much for your time today. I, I, I really appreciate you uh, interviewing here. <clears throat> um, a lot of candidates, and uh, I need to make the right decision, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a, a night or two to, to, to think about it and sleep on it. You, you, you do too, and you know if you feel, uh, you know, impressed to reach out, please do. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you. Let me move on, right? But if I like them, then I and then I want to invite them to a skills test. So the skills test. This is the the last stage in the interview, and I recognize that this is like a really long process, right? You might be thinking, my gosh, who is going to go through this process? Well, if you've done the work of your personal leadership skills and you have done a good job in this initial interview of presenting that contextual piece of it, who we are as a company, why we do it, why you should want to be a part of it, then they're not going to have a hard time going through the rest of it. They're going to jump through those hoops, right? And you want, to jump through the, you want them to jump through those hoops because you need to apply rigor. You cannot have a 15-minute conversation and say, yeah, come out, uh, you, you know, you're just, you're just not going to find out who these people are. In fact, a lot of this, you're still not going to see who they are until three or four months into the job. But this is the, the best that we could do. So have a skills test. What you're going to do is you're going to set up a day with your crew, and they're going to know, that crew leader is going to know that we are interviewing for an additional person. In fact, usually it's the crew leader who's making the request that, hey, we need more people. And if you've got the backlog of work, you know that you could do it. Well, I tell the crew leader, <clears throat> okay, we've got a skills test. It's going to be in the morning. And uh, tell me, you know, with, with the job that you're on, when would be a good day for us to bring this person out? Crew leader's going to know. Okay, there's gonna, you know, they're going to look at the progress and they're going to think, okay, I just need a little bit of a space where I can see them mask off some trim, do a little brush work, do a little roll work. And we're going to give them about three production points to do. Okay, so three production points. If you're dealing in hours, then maybe about three hours, right? We just want to give them some time. Now, I am going to compensate for the for the skills test. Maybe I'll give them, you know, if, if I'm not going to hire. Well, think about this. In court of federal law, you could pay anybody up to five hundred dollars without having to issue a ten ninety nine. Okay, so that gives you some room. That's gives, everywhere. That's everywhere. That's federal law. Let me get a drink real quick. <laughs> so federal law, <coughs> you, uh, after $500, you have to issue a, a W-9 and consider them a 1099 worker, okay? Up to $500. So you can pay anybody $500 cash out of the year. It's so the whole year, okay? But you can pay anybody $500 cash to do work. That's the max. That's the max. So if you, if you pay them, once you pay them more than $500, then you have to you have to have them fill out a, a, a W nine and give them a ten ninety nine, okay. But five hundred dollars, give them uh, you can give them a Visa gift card, um, you can give them cash, you know whatever, okay. Uh, but compensate them if they're going to do the actual work on your job. But you want to you want to examine how they, how they are. And this this skills test isn't about um, 
it's not really about like how good they are. It's just, it's mostly about where they are in the process, right? How how much are, you're trying to figure out how much to pay them, because a lot of people will say like uh, I'm worth <laughs> you know thirty dollars an hour. You know, I've been doing this for you know thirty years, and you know it's like yeah, you've been doing it, exactly. You've been doing it wrong for thirty years, right? So uh, <laughs> so. We just want to figure out where their skills at are today so that we know how much work we got to put into them and, and how much to pay them right now. And if that offer, based off of where they're at, feels like a slap in the face, then you, know, you just slap somebody in the face. But they can't work for you for more than that because you've seen their work, right? Um, that's, that's just the bottom line. So we bring them out. To me, if I have the capacity to train from scratch then I, and, and I like all the other stuff, then I'll take them on. If I don't have the capacity to train for train from scratch, then I won't. You know, it's just that's just how it goes. What I'm what I'll do here is I'll say, hey, um, you know, thank you. Here's the you know here's fifty bucks or whatever it is for you know what they did, and um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to hang on to your information. Right now, we we don't. I'm be transparent. We don't have the capacity to take on somebody at your skill level right now. But I liked everything else about you, and so in the future, when we have the ability to take on apprentice, I'm going to call you up, okay? And and I'll tell you what, guys, there there have been people who I've liked who I've had to turn down because I only had one spot, and I called them a year later and I said, hey, I've got a spot open. Do you want to come down? And they said no. And then I called them a year later, and I said, hey, I got a spot open. Do you want to come down? And then they said yes, and they ended up being a very phenomenal worker, right? So, so just like your marketing, where you are building a bank and a pool of names and contacts, you apply the same thing to your recruiting. And you just you can nurture that list, you can keep them in the loop, you can keep conversations going, and when you have time and capacity, you want to just bring on those, those good people. What I'll also say to them, and this is the last thing I'll say about this, is that most of the people that I interview, interview right at the front, especially in the, inter in the initial interview stage, they know that interviewing people is just a regular part of my job all throughout the year. And I'm upfront about them and say, look, um, I interview all year long whether I need help or not um, because it's just good to have this initial conversation and get you on the radar so that when I do have work, um, I, you know, I have your contact, we have familiarity. If for whatever reason, when I call, you have a job, you're happy, you don't want to move, that's fine, no harm, no foul. But if, if you do have availability and, you, and you're looking for a change, then, then we can have that conversation. They're always okay with that. They're always okay with that answer. Okay, so with your onboarding process, it is all about committing to this leadership model. You have to show those people that the, all that talk and stuff in the interview, that it wasn't just talk, that you live out these things. This is the kind of leader you are. You provide them with inspiration. You provide them with support. You're reliable, you're responsible. And most, too many people either A, don't have an onboarding process at all, or they don't spend enough time on it. For us, We've got, um, there, there are hidden playlists on our YouTube channel that have onboarding videos. And all I've done is I've taken my camera and I turned it on myself and I said, okay, this is how the sprint schedule works. We have backlog, 
this is how you read a work order. You do, you work for two weeks. At the end, we have, a, you know, I, I, I explain it to them. And, and you can do that. You have phones, so you can do this. You can just create it. You can create it, you know, do it on the way to a bid. Just pop it on and start, you know, talking. Do it on a job site. You're on a job site. Okay, hey, hang on a second. Hey, this <laughs> just, just do it. Like, it's not that hard. So have them watch the playlist. The other thing that I would recommend is uh, going back to those painter training videos of the PCA. Now, with the, P with the painter training videos, um, those, you can watch them for free, okay? Anybody can watch them for free. And so send them that link, have your team watch those. In fact, at our weekly, or at our bi-weekly sprint meetings, I always play one of those videos. They're usually five to 10 minutes long, and we all watch them and we brush up on it. And you know, the way that, the, the way that they, they paint in those videos, uh, for the most part, it's how I would do things. Every now and then, I do things a little bit different. That's not a big deal. I just tell my team, hey, you know, the way that he, you know, used his putty knife there, well, you could just do this instead. You know, it's not that big of a deal. But, but it's a really great <laughs> base to, you know, start with. So I, so I have them watch those videos. Um, that kind of goes through the process. And in those first couple weeks, uh, I am visiting those job sites quite frequently. I am, I am building that relationship, trying to help them get in, um, you know, in good connection and a good groove. Um, I'm assisting the, the, their trainer with, with additional training. Um, I'm just, I'm being, I'm being high support in, in that, in that initial phase. And that really needs to happen, um, you know, at the very least the first three months, but really look at that first year as critical. I think too many leaders underestimate how much it costs to lose an employee. Um, it's it's very expensive. I mean, the, the numbers on it are nearly unbelievable, but it's very, very expensive. Thousands of dollars are wasted on turnover uh, because you just, you have to start with square one as square one with somebody. And when people first join your team, they're just not that profitable. Onboarding is so important. Here's how we do our training. Um, it's called the EDGE method. Uh, it stands for Educate, Demonstrate, Guide, Enable. I stole it from the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, and how it works is uh, the, f the first thing that you do, you list out all the tasks that they need to know in order to uh, do the job well. I've simplified this, okay, but in our actual sheet, prep is, it's broken down. Removing faceplates, taping baseboards, uh, dusting, pole sanding. You know, it's, it's like really listed out. Every single thing that we do, it's all listed out in a, in a table like that. And the first thing that they have to do is they have to get educated on it. That's where those videos come in. If there are not, uh, if the videos aren't covered, if the PCA videos don't cover all that you need to cover, turn the camera on yourself. Turn it on a crew member who does it right. Um, have it available so that they can see it. You can just put it in a Google Drive folder, put it on a YouTube playlist. That stuff is free, folks, and, and it's in your hands. So they have to watch those videos to understand how it's done and, and why, why we do it. Then you demonstrate it. They need to be demonstrated in person. You need to actually physically show them. You need to show them how it's done slowly so that they can follow along. And then you need to show them how it's done quickly so they can know what the actual tempo is. When you're demonstrating that, um, have them close by and then give them the tool. You know, If you're teaching them how to mask, give them the tape and say, okay, it's now it's your turn. And you're going to guide them through the process, giving them really you know, detailed description of how to do it right, how you want it done, little nuances. 
you're going to have to go back into demonstration mode with them, right? Because taping is one of those ones that if they don't know how to do it, like for some reason it seems so difficult that first time. <laughs> and, you know, it's like you can mask in, in your sleep, you know. But, you know, little things. And, and go back in and say, okay, we got to redo this, and this is how you do it. Now you try again, right? And you keep doing that, but you're going to spread out the distance between demonstrating and guiding. Just spread it out so that eventually, okay, now I want you to low cut this entire room. I'll be back when you're done. You go back in, you inspect it, it looks good, great. Once they've got that, now you check them off as enabled and you shouldn't have to train them on it again, right? Because they've, they've mastered the small skill, right? Real simple one, removing those face plates, right? Seems simple and then they're like, put it back in and they crack it and it's not going up. You know, you're like, okay. <laughs> uh, all right, that's, that's the edge technique. Real simple. You can, um, you know, you don't need a fancy software for this. You can, you can go into Google Docs, create a table and, and print, print it out. Okay. Doesn't have to be difficult. All right. Let's talk a little bit about production and kind of, uh, so there's some nuance, right? I mentioned before that, that different people paint at different rates and speeds and qualities and all that before, right? This is going to diagram it out. So on the vertical bar here, we have quality, right? High quality at the top, low at the bottom. And then down here, we have the speed. Slow on this side, fast on that side. Well, the higher the quality, the more time that you need to take. And that's true of everybody, okay? Higher the quality, the more time it takes. Lower the quality, the faster, the faster you go, right? Well, we'll diagram this as such, right? High quality, gonna take more time, therefore your cost per unit is gonna be high. And this is gonna start answering your question a little bit about raising prices, right? So if your quality is high, and you have to take more time to do a high quality, then your cost per unit is gonna be uh, pretty high. Whereas if the expectation is, you know, of the quality is low and you, and you gotta go fast, you know, think about like apartment turnovers and stuff like that, low quality, speed, you know, the cost has gotta be cheap, right? That, this is kinda how this is working. Now, each customer, and, and I'll extend that to customer base, is going to have what's called an acceptable quality, right? A level of finish that they say, yeah, this is good and I'm willing to pay for it. And where you get this nexus of quality and speed and unit cost, this is, this is the point of cost minimization. Meaning that this is the lowest that you can charge in order to get the acceptable quality uh, and, and done in the time that they need, right? So what that means is, is that you have to have your painters to be able to understand and know what that is. What we need to be able to do is we need to figure out, we need to make sure that there's nobody in our company at the lowest level who isn't producing at least the acceptable quality and in, in the right time. Why? Because if they were, let's say you had an apprentice who is over here and they're producing here, well, their, their cost isn't right, right? They're, they're becoming too expensive and they're not getting the results that you need. 
And so what we need to do is we need to make sure that they're producing the proper quality and doing it in the right speed. That's, that's mission critical for your new people. If they, don't, if they can't reach that level, you can't float them for, for much longer, right? Either they have to increase their productivity, increase the quality, or you're going to have to move on. Now, what's kind of, uh, so, so is anybody here do like high-end stuff? A couple of you do like real high-end, right? So, so if the acceptable bar of quality goes up, right, then, then that line moves up, right? But you have different, you have different uh, like customers, right? Some of you, does it, so the people who do high-end stuff, do, you, do any of you do kind of mid-range stuff as well, right? Okay, so you're doing both. And how do you communicate that to your team? You know, how do you, uh, how do you charge, how do you price that differently, right? Th those things matter. These are things that you have to think about and things that you have to train into your team. And so you have, what we'll do is we're going to establish three different levels for your team. And this is going to go back to, okay, we've done the skills test. We, we need to figure out how much to pay this person and, you know, what level they're at, okay? So... We've got apprentices, we've got journeymen, we've got craftsmen. We'll just use those three buckets. And that apprentice, if it takes them this long to get to the acceptable bar of quality, what's going to happen is actually their, their price, their cost is actually up there. Okay, so they're, so they're costing more than you can afford to pay them because they have to take so long in order to, to reach that minimum quality. So like I said, we have to get them to... to speed up a little bit. That's the, that's the most important thing. If they're not there, if they're not at that minimum level within three months, it's probably time to, time to move on, right? And, that, and that's maybe generous, but, you know, but three months, right? We'll give them three months. Okay. So then it stands to reason that if your apprentice level is going to hit this minimum cost level, that your journeyman is going to be able to hit that acceptable bar of quality, but do it in less time. That's how that, that, that works, right? And so then, likewise, your craftsman is gonna, it's gonna, he's gonna be faster too, or she's gonna be faster too, right? She, he, she is going to hit this acceptable bar of quality in less time than the journeyman or the apprentice, right? Okay. So now it comes to, okay, well, if that's the case, then how do we, how do we cost things? How do, we, how do we put this into a system that's gonna just make sense for our team and allow us to actually be profitable? Well, the unit of production, like I mentioned before, is uh, it's a unit in, uh, of like just a quantity of work. So the door, that's a, that's a point, right? If I were to look at, um, you know, if I were looking at this wall right here, um, if I if I think of it in relation to you know to a door or you know compare how I'm going to you know roll this out, um, you know this this would probably be about three points right here, okay? Because I know that if I were doing it, I could do it in probably two hours, but I know that um, actually less than I'd probably do it in about an hour, and then. I, well, I, if, I, if I'm doing two coats and I would have to wait for it to dry, but like actual work time, I could probably do about two or hour, hour and a half maybe, right? Okay. So, but I know that my, my apprentice is going to take a lot, you know, probably take all morning to do this wall, right? Like up until lunch. 
because they're just slow. They're just slow, right? So, so that makes it that makes it difficult, right? But, but this 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 system actually helps us out here. So, if I if I just say that this wall is going to be three points, okay, then um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set the minimum wage of my company to the that one point, right? And and I'm going to set it based on the apprentice. So if I bring in my apprentice and I know that in order to attract somebody new that I at least have to pay them, you know, I don't know, $15 an hour, right? Maybe that's more here for you guys. I don't know. What, what would you say in order to attract an apprentice? How, what's, the, what's the minimum that you have to pay? At least $15? That's right. Yeah, you can. 15 at fast food. 18 20 dollars sure okay you know that's fine it doesn't really matter all right for the for the purpose of this exercise i'm just going to start with 15 dollars an hour you're gonna have to pay that apprentice 15 dollars an hour okay well if they are if they have to pay or if they have to work 60 minutes to produce one point then what is one point worth 15 perfect so one point equals 15 dollars and remember, one point is between 30 and 60 minutes worth of work. So with that, now I can create goals based off of skill levels. So if my apprentice one, who I bring in, is going to earn $15 an hour, and they're going to work seven hours in a day, then I am going to require them to produce seven points in a day. And that'll make it so that they're earning $15 an hour, and that they are producing what I, what I need to produce. So if I, took, if I took this wall, which we said was three, and let's you know, add those next two walls, and let's call this whole section seven points, then I'm gonna make it so that that apprentice has to be able to finish this wall in a day. But if I go to this craftsman level two, 14 points, how long is it gonna take them for, to complete the wall? Lunchtime. That's right, lunchtime, half a day. Why? Because they're producing twice as many points. And so I put three different levels, apprentice one, apprentice two, apprentice three, journeyman one, journeyman two, journeyman three, craftsman one, craftsman three, craftsman two, master craftsman. And this gives our team something to shoot for, right? Before, when they saw the ceiling of your company, they looked at you and thought, there's nowhere for me to go. I have nothing that I can aspire to. I have no, I have no climb to reach. Well, now they do. Now they have different stages, different steps that they could do. And, and, and in my experience, what I've noticed is that getting from apprentice one to apprentice two takes about three months. Getting from apprentice two to apprentice three takes another three months. So they're at about the six month part. And then from going from apprentice three to journeyman, it takes about that first year. And so their apprenticeship is gonna take about a year. And incrementally, we're going to increase their pay as they increase their output. The journeyman years, each of these, we're gonna go old school again, three years in a day, remember that. Each of their journeyman years is one year. And then once they get into those craftsman years, they're still advancing uh, uh, at a year, but they're gonna get extra privileges. They're gonna make more money, they're gonna have more responsibility, they're gonna have opportunities to lead, they're gonna have title changes. These are the things that are gonna get your people to stay. These are going to be the things that help your people feel like they are accomplishing something with their life, right? So for my team, I created these daily planners. It's a sprint planner, okay? And in the sprint planner at the very beginning, 
it has it has this system right here right so these daily planners they they carry carry them around this is how they track their production points and all of this and they know where they're at and they know where they want to shoot for now here's the thing when they do better than so let's say my my apprentice who needs um you know seven points in a day when they do better i give them more money right so let's say let's say we we're working for uh two weeks and uh it's an apprentice they just started they're responsible for seven points on a day that means out of 10 days they have to do how many points 70 points right well if they do 75 points then for those extra five dollars i give them an extra 15 dollars per point right Pretty good, right? Pretty good. Because now they know that the harder that they work, the more that they earn. A little bit of incentive, right? Keep them going and motivated. Yeah. Is there a particular system that you have to your Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so uh, if we remember at that sprint meeting, it's a two-way feedback, right? And everybody is a first-class citizen at that meeting. And so if they tell me that, hey, I did it this way, I painted this window this way, and it shaved off 10 minutes of my time, and that's beating other people, share it with everybody so that we can know, right? Everybody's a first-class citizen. Now, have I had situations where an apprentice went and, you know, took initiative and bought one of those stupid paint shield things that for, you know, trimming? Yeah, I've had that, you know, and it's like, well, okay, you can try it, but you're going to have to redo it. You know, so there's a little bit of that, right? But, but that's okay. That's the culture that we've created. You know, we're, we make it okay for people to make mistakes, okay? Because sometimes when, they, when they're making those mistakes, A, they're learning better, but sometimes you know they take a shot and they make it and it and it and it creates innovation in our company okay so we're almost done here contract labor versus employed labor um you know legally uh you're you're allowed to do both but they're just rules right um quick poll i guess how many of you uh, have w2 employees just just a handful okay and the rest are using 1099 um, subcontractors. Okay, how many of you, of the ones that are uh, doing 1099, how many of you have um, like independent crews, that they're a crew that formed themselves and of like three or four people um, or just one? Or yeah, let's, how many of you do that? Where you have like, okay, cool. And the rest, um, you're 1099, they're individual workers, but you're working kind of as a team. Okay, that last one you have to be careful with. Okay, that's the one thing that I'll say. That last one you have to be careful with because of this thing called worker misclassification. Okay, uh, in, in the state of, in the, in the good old United States of America, okay, there are federal laws regarding workers and what constitutes a uh, non-exempt employee. If they are mandatory, if it's mandatory that they wear your shirts, if you control their schedule, if you are uh, paying them by hour, um, if 
you, uh, if they are not carrying their own insurance, if they are using your tools, they are an employee, you need to give them a W-2, okay? Um, if they carry their own insurance, if they carry their own workers' comp, uh, if they have their own tools, if it is not mandatory that they wear your shirts, you can always give away free swag, just saying. But if they, uh, if they work for other contractors in addition to you, then they are safely a subcontractor, okay? The, the reason that this is important is because if they don't pay their uh, taxes, uh, you will have to. <laughs> okay. the, uh, the government can come after you and, and say, nope, they're employees, you should have been withholding taxes, and, and that makes you liable for their taxes. You'll end up with a huge bill, and uh, for some people it might sink them. But does this system work for either? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. It works for either contract, labor, or employed. Can I ask a question? Yes. What about if it's a subcontractor out on the job and um, you put one of your signs in the yard, but he works, he's a subcontractor? Yeah, you can put your sign out there. Okay. That's fine. Right. It's just that you can't make him wear your shirt. He can choose to wear your shirt, okay. but you can't make him. Okay. okay. Thank you. Any other questions about that? If you guys are, um, for any of you who, um, you know, and, and really for those who, who are using W-2, if you are a little bit concerned about that because the, the laws seem a little murky and, and, and tricky to deal with, um, I, I use a PEO, um, which is, it's a professional employer organization. We can actually work together. I can help you get those guys employed. I can help you get them their, you know, the payroll taxes, workers' comp and all that. Um, I can help you do that. Just, you know, just contact me afterwards. All right. So does it work for, for a subcontractor? Well, a lot of people like this subcontractor route because um, it allows you to, to fix your margins. So um, let's say you sell a job for $5,000 and um, the payout for the subcontractor is $2,500. You, you, you know, it's a 50-50 split. Um, well, for that subcontractor, they're going to have their own labor costs and they have to make some profit because they are independent, they are in business for themselves, they should make a profit. And so in this case, your cost per point is going to be more expensive for the subcontractor than it would for the, uh, for the employee. The only thing is that it really isn't, it's just that your costs are shifting, right? So if you're employing them as a W-2, you're paying the uh, employer taxes and the, um, their portion of the, the payroll tax. Um, you are paying for tools, you are paying for other things. So all the stuff that they have to pay, um, if they were independent, it just gets shifted to you. So we ju we're just making a little cost difference on your dollar per point. So in this case, Let's just say that we're gonna, we've negotiated, and that's a key, it is a negotiation because they are an independent business owner and they have rights to negotiate price. So you're, you've negotiated $25 per point for them. That's gonna mean that you're gonna have to charge on your end $50 per point in order to get 50% gross profit margins. And so their payout is $2,500, your payout is $2,500. What that means is if they are able to produce um, if it costs $25 per point, that means that they, uh, they have 100 points in that job. And if they're able to produce 25 points in a day, then you would say, okay, this job is going to finish in four days. Okay? That's how you would do it for subcontractors. You just kind of have to reverse engineer it in a way. Um, 
guys, that's it. That's that's the whole thing. Yeah. Do the work. Do the work. Okay, there it was. That's the show. Uh, really good group of people. Great questions. Um, I, I hope I delivered. I think I delivered. I really do. And uh, if you are interested in coming to some of these events, you know, check with your Sherwin-Williams district leader to see if district manager, your rep, to see if they've got events planning. Uh, mention my name. Tell them, you know, Torlando brings the heat and have them bring me out. You could also um, see if you've got a gathering of painters in your area. You can um, you could bring me out to one of those. Um, just contact the PCA. That's how uh, that's how you can book me. Um, really, really excellent show. So happy to be on uh, tour. I've got uh, future tour dates happening, and uh, I'll be in Pennsylvania um, coming up uh, in, in a day or so. Uh, so, so check that out if you're in the area and, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just loving this industry. I'm loving our people. I'm loving our, our tribe of painters. Uh, they're good people in this industry who are trying their best to make a life for themselves and to, uh, build a team and, and, and create a life for the, the team that they build in, that they build. And, and most importantly, I think to serve our customers to the best of our ability, our industry is beautiful. The work that we do is, is beautiful. It makes a difference. And you're out there making a difference. And so I appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing. And until next time, thanks for listening to Paint Ed. Podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org. 